So many years ago, when I was just a, a wee little lad, there was a show on TV starring Michael Landon, and he was an angel. Do you guys remember that show? Oh, I loved that show. It was so cool. And he had a human sidekick, and they'd go around doing good like angels do. And it was such a fun show. And then, um, I'm not sure which came next, but there was this movie that came out with John Travolta, and he was an angel. And he came to Earth and met with people and stuff. And then this show came on TV with Roma Downey, Touched by an Angel. And I love that show, too. And then more recently, a few years back, this show came on TV called Angel. And I think he was more like a demon than anything. <laughs> it got dark and kind of scary after that. But we have this amazing fascination with angels. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to teach you what the Bible says about angels. I will probably answer most of your questions, probably not all of them. But if you've got more, feel free to, you know, shoot me an email and, um, or a Facebook message, and maybe I can answer those questions for you too. So I want you to close your eyes for just a second and picture an angel in your mind's eye. What did you see? Did you see a chubby little baby with wings? Because that's what a lot of people think angels look like. I have no idea where that came from. Actually, I do. It's ancient mythology, but that's not what angels look like. How, many, how about a beautiful woman with blonde hair and wings? That's the typical look of an angel right there. And why does she always have to have blonde hair? I don't know. Maybe we're a little more egalitarian, and you've seen the Nordic male demigod with the wings, handsome, virile man with a big sword fighting for justice, truth, and the American way. Well, guess what? Sorry to disappoint you. There is nothing in the Bible that says angels have wings. And every time an angel appears in the Bible, it's an adult. So we're going to have to... No chubby little baby, sorry. And they always appeared as men. That would be for the women, yeah? And guess what? All the appearances of angels happened in the Middle East, so they were not Nordic men. No way. <laughs> Batting a thousand so far. When angels appeared, oftentimes they would appear in their heavenly glory. They'd be men shining bright, um, almost like radiating light. And that was the best picture I could find for you of a glowing man. Because, you know, how do you get a picture of an angel? And not too many people have actually... In fact, I could not find a good representation of a biblical angel on the internet. Isn't that something? So it just goes to show you, people have all these ideas. There's thousands of pictures out there, but the, the dozens and scores I looked at, not one of them really fit for what an angel really was. Angels are powerful, they're holy, and they're frightening. When angels appear in their glory, people are scared. Their knees knock. They even faint away. And then the angel will go to that person and say, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Let me give you a, a classic visitation of an angel story. Daniel chapter 10. Listen, this is Daniel writing his story. I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, and I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite. Chrysolite? Kind of like emerald, like a greenish gem. 
I don't know why it says his body was like chrysolite. Maybe it was like when you look at a gem, it sparkles. Maybe that was the concept. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished brown. He was bright, shiny, like a gem, like a furnace, like a torch, like a lightning. And his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and they hid themselves. So Daniel's there with a bunch of his friends. They're praying, and all of a sudden this thing happens, and the men get scared to death, and they run. And they hide themselves. Where do you hide yourself? Jump behind a bush? You know, go around a corner, hide in a cave? The guys were petrified. Daniel didn't run. Well, Daniel got the full vision. I'm thinking Daniel didn't run, not because he was brave, but because he couldn't. Listen. Yeah, you'll see. Such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. And we read a little later that he, was at, he fell down. He fainted. The presence of the angel so overwhelmed him. Listen. I've never been that scared in my life. I don't even understand what that kind of scared means. The closest I can come to is sometimes out of the blue, you'll hear this huge clap of thunder, and it just immediately petrifies you. Your heart skips a beat, and you're like, oh! Well, imagine if that clap of thunder escalates from there. That's the close I can imagine this kind of fright being. I really don't know. I've never experienced it. So angels don't appear as fat little babies or beautiful blonde women or Nordic men with wings. But they do appear in glory, shiny, bright, frightening. And they will also hide their glory and appear just as men. Now, they all came from the Middle East, so they probably look something like this. How disappointing, huh? (laughs) Just a guy. Now, in our culture, that's not what a guy looks like. Back in the days of Abraham, that's what a guy would have looked like. Today, that's probably what an angel would look like if you saw him today. You wouldn't even recognize him. It'd just be a guy. And I put in a Middle East-looking guy because any appearance of them in recorded biblical history is in the Middle East. So, all we know is that when angels have appeared, they've appeared Middle Eastern-looking. It is possible to actually meet an angel and not even know it. Perhaps every one of you in here has met an angel. It is extremely possible. Listen to what Hebrews says, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So maybe, you know, somebody's in your neighborhood and they look hot and they look thirsty and you invite them to your porch and give them a lemonade and a sandwich and you think you're doing your, uh, a great service to God, and you are. You're, you're, you're doing a good thing. That could have just been an angel in disguise. Good deeds are often opportunities to meet angels. It's amazing. Wouldn't it be cool if we got to heaven and God said, yeah, here's that guy you met. Oh, you were an angel? I didn't know. I just thought I was giving you a banana because you look hungry. Yeah, it was just God sent me to see what you would do. You did the right thing. Thank you. Do the right thing. You just never know who you're doing the right thing for. Interesting thing about angels is they are sent 
to minister to human beings. Listen, Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are sent to minister to saints. And of course, I mean saint in the biblical way, not in the traditional way. In the Bible, a saint is a follower of God. It's just somebody who follows God. It's a believer. It's not an extra special believer or a glorified believer. It's just people who follow Jesus. So angels are sent to serve people that follow Jesus. Angels are servants. But they are so mighty and amazing that when they appear in their glory, we can't even stand. And yet they're just lowly servants. And check this out. Angels are superior to humans, and yet they're sent to serve humans. Now, isn't that just like God? Angels are up here, we're down here, and he sends them to serve us. Jesus said, referring to himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down a ransom for many. He came to serve. He was so exhausted that at times he fell asleep in a boat that was rocking and rolling and about ready to capsize, but he was so tired he didn't even wake up. He healed people. He fed people. He washed people's feet. He cast out demons. He served people. He was the Son of God, and he came here to wash people's feet. He sends angels, these mighty, glorious, holy beings that attend him to attend us. Wow. That would be kind of like calling Microsoft and they send Bill Gates to help you out with your computer. They would never do that, but God would. You know, listen, if you're a boss, CEO of a company, why don't you get the janitors a cup of coffee every once in a while? Bring them a box of donuts. You see them working real hard? Say, hey man, come here a minute. Buy him a soda. Are we too good for that? Heck, hold the ladder if it looks precarious. Yes, you're the CEO. You've got more important things to do. I understand that. But there's nothing more important than being godly. Godliness means we humble ourselves and we serve others. I told you angels are superior to humans. Hebrews 2, 6 through 7. There is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. God made man lower than the angels. But one day we're going to become superior to the angels and the situation's going to be reversed. We'll be bossing angels around. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6.3. Don't you know that we will judge angels? And if, we, and if that is so, we can surely judge everyday matters. Wow. So we're temporarily lower than the angels, but we're going to be elevated beyond them. Not only in rank, but in awesomeness, in our very nature. The natures of angels, they're holy, they're powerful, they're amazing. Someday we're going to be more holy, more amazing, more powerful than angels. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that we're going to see Jesus as he is because we will be like him. We are sons of the living God, people. We are heirs to the king of the universe. Well, right now, we might be little kids who need to be tutored by angels, but the day's going to come where they're going to be under us. It's an amazing thing to consider. So 
So what about guardian angels? That's a question people often ask. If, if angels are sent to serve us, then the implication is we all have guardian angels. I should have got another one of those. We can't take it that far. Yes, angels are, are sent to serve believers, but uh, what capacity, how intimately, how often, and at what level, the Bible doesn't say. There is no indication in the scripture that each and every one of us has a guardian angel. There's one verse that says, you know, treat children well because their angels behold the face of their father in heaven. What are you going to do with that verse? I don't know. It's not enough to make up a whole theology about guardian angels on, though. I do know that the way I see the universe, we can't all have guardian angels because then they're all failing horribly. <laughs> you know? And I, I wouldn't say that about angels. Angels do what they need to do. They're not going to be failing. So I'm just assuming we don't all have guardian angels. But I mean, Peter was in prison and an angel rescued him, right? But hey, aren't there saints in prison all over the world today unjustly? Yeah, aren't there persecuted Christians and martyrs today? Yes, there are. So I don't think their angels are failing. I just think our understanding is wrong. We don't all have guardian angels. But sometimes angels do guard. Lot's family was in Sodom, and God was going to destroy Sodom. So he sent two angels to pull, literally, the family out of there so he could destroy it with fire and brimstone. So they acted as guardians at that time, but there's nothing to even indicate that Lot had a guardian angel at any other time in his life. So are there guardian angels? No, but angels do guard. When God, where God, and how God wants them to. Angels are active in our lives, but to what extent, I cannot say. And people who write books and give you fanciful stories are making it up in their own mind. It's not good. The Bible does tell us that from the very beginning, angels have been active in human lives in one way or another. The giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments, was at the hand of angels also. Listen, Deuteronomy 33, 2. The Lord came from Mount Sinai. He rose like the sun over Edom and shone on his people from Mount Paran. 10,000 angels were with him, a flaming fire at his right hand. Now, Acts 7:53 adds this. Angels gave you God's law, but you still don't obey it. So the apostle says right out, angels gave you God's law. So, somehow up on Mount Sinai with the fire and the smoke and God speaking the word of the law, maybe the first set of tablets were handed to Moses by the hand of angels. I don't know how angels were active in giving of the law. I don't. But I know that they were. It's very interesting. What else do they do? I don't know. You know, you look at humanity and we've got our own civilization. We do things. We drive cars. We go to work. We vote for politicians. We make food. We got farmers, bakers, and candlestick makers. What do angels do? Maybe they got their whole society too. I know they're based on serving God and by extension serving us, but I, they've got ranks and they know each other. They help each other. It's very interesting. So angels are involved in our lives, but I highly recommend you don't drive like an idiot because <laughs> you probably don't have a guardian angel. And I'm sure I've got a couple of firemen in here who can testify to that who've been to some accidents. You don't want to drive crazy. And don't throw a bumper sticker on your car that says, God is my co-pilot. That's not going to help. <laughs> 
I mean, I like giving honor to God in all circumstances, and those bumper stickers are cool. But God's nobody's co-pilot, you know? Next question. Do we, do we become angels when we die? There is a theology in some churches that think angels are simply dead saints or dead humans, and they kind of get elevated to the rank of angel. Nope. Angels are not humans, never were, never will be. Totally different species. God made humans, God made angels. They're not the same thing. They're totally separate. Very simple explanation for how I know this to be true. Who is the first human being? Adam. Adam. Who tempted him? Satan. Satan, fallen angel. So there were already angels before humans even reproduced. There are myriads of angels. There's a verse in the scripture that shows that the angels rejoiced when they saw the creation happen. So the angels were made before humans were made. Angels are not humans. Humans are not angels. Now somebody asked me yesterday, it's not in my notes, but since it was a question and it was valid, I thought I'd throw it in for you today. Um, what about cherubim and seraphim, Steve? They're mentioned in the Bible. Cherubs and seraphs, yes, they are mentioned in the Bible, but they're not angels. Well, then what are they, Steve? They're cherubim and seraphim. They're a different created celestial being, but they're not angels. All right. We don't become angels when we die. Is there invisible war of angels and demons going on all around us. Could there be like a hundred angels in here right now and on the rooftop with AK-47s looking out to keep the demons away? You know, in the old days they had swords, but hey, maybe they got AKs now. I don't know. Yes, there is an invisible world. Angels appear as glorified beings. They appear in disguise as human, and they're invisible. So sometimes they're there and you don't see them at all. Is there a war going on? Yes, there is. But to what extent? Again, I don't know. There may be no angels anywhere within a mile of here, or there may be a battle going on right now. I know this, just because we're in a church doesn't mean the angels are keeping the demons out. How do I know that? Because Jesus went to a synagogue in Nazareth, and uh, Capernaum, I should say, in Capernaum, and there was a synagogue in the synagogue was a de- demon-possessed man with the Son of God. So, if that didn't scare him off, nothing will. Jesus chased him off, don't get me wrong. But they were willing to be there. So I don't, you know, all these people sometimes, oh God, we bind Satan and keep the demons away from here. It's a nice thought, but it's not happening. We don't have the power to do that. We don't have the ability to do that. Don't deceive yourself. Because if you say a prayer like that and believe it, then you think everything that happens must be godly. Not so. So are angels and demons battling? Yes. Is it invisible war? Yes. To what extent? I do not know. There might be 10 angels in here right now, and there might be none within a mile. I just don't know. It's kind of cool to think they might be in here right now, though, right? I tend to believe that they were here because they wanted to hear Jose and Rich sing. Seriously. I think when people start singing praise songs, they're there. I don't, I'm not basing this on anything other than my own personal preference. I just like that idea. But I think when people start praising God in spirit, the angels are there. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were playing drums, too. <laughs> yeah, brother. <laughs> Worshiping God. And honoring the fact, eating up the fact that we were worshiping God. They probably shake their heads. Fallen humans filled with sin, praising God. 
thinking, that is so cool. God, you are so awesome that they've never seen you. And yet they still know you and worship you. God, you are so cool. And you guys are awesome. They might have been looking at Joe playing the bass and saying, you know what? I'm over Joe right now, but one day Joe's going to be my boss and I'm all right with that. Listening to him praising God in his fallen state like that, what a man. I can't wait for Joe to be bossing me around. That's the kind of stuff I believe. So, about angels being invisible. Um, The prophet Elisha. There was Elijah, powerful prophet, and his disciple took his place, Elisha. Um, Their names sound familiar, similar in English, so people get them confused. And they did similar things. They did similar miracles, and so I get them confused. Which one did the which and who did the what? But Elijah, Eliyahu in Hebrew, and Elisha, Elisha in Hebrew. So if we stuck with the Hebrew, we'd never confuse their names because they don't sound anything alike. Eliyahu and Elisha. So Elisha, Elisha, was doing this thing for Israel. The Syrians, which pretty much are enemies to Israel to this day, were sending armies into Israel to fight. More than raiding parties, but pretty much small armies. And every time the army would come in, those they came to attack would be gone. They'd be ready for them. And this happened time after time. And the king of Assyria said, I mean, the king of Syria said, this is not a coincidence. We have a mole. One of you guys is telling the Israelis where we're at. And one of the guys said, no, 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 there's no mole. They got a prophet. And the prophet hears everything you say. And he's telling his people. He said, fine, go kill the prophet. Now, isn't that stupid? Think about that for a minute. You really believe he's doing that? You don't. You're not worried about him. If you do, you're going to go after him? That's stupid. That's like Elijah, the other prophet. Sent the, the king sent 50 guys after him to arrest him. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. So what does the king do? He sends 50 more. Well, that's smart. Why don't we just keep going until you're all out of soldiers? Finally, the third group had a commander who was a believer, and he said, please don't kill me. I don't even want to be here. I have to be here. Please don't kill us. And God honored that and didn't kill him. So now we're with Elisha. And they go, they found the city he's in, the town, and they surround it with their army. They wake up the next morning and Elisha's servant freaks out. He wakes up and sees the enemies totally surrounding the village. They're toast. So we pick you up in the story. Early the next morning, Elisha's servant got up went out of the house and saw the Syrian troops with their horses and chariots surrounding the town. He went back to Elisha and exclaimed, exclaimed. I don't like that word. Here's what he said. We're doomed! What are we going to do? So exclaimed. Is there a better word we can use? I don't know of a better one. So they used exclaimed. He freaked. That's what happened. And doomed, that's a nice word. We don't use it today. We use more colorful words. Pretty much, he said, we're toast, man. We're toast. What are we going to do? We're, ah! What would you do? Similar circumstances. And I'm sure Elisha's like, ah. and the other guy's probably mad at Elisha because Elisha doesn't care. Elisha's like, are you nuts? Kind of like Jesus sleeping in the boat. Aren't you afraid we're going to die? They said to Jesus. Servant says to Elisha, aren't you afraid? And Elisha's like, no. 
he says, we have more on our side than they have on theirs. And then he prays, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord answered his prayer, and Elisha's servant looked up and saw the hillside covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He wasn't afraid because he knew God was protecting him. Talk about guardian angel. He had a guardian army. He had a bigger army protecting him than the Syrians had to attack him, which is just all for show because how many angels does it take to beat an army? One. Maybe there was a spiritual battle going on that day, and that's why there was a whole bunch of angels there. I don't know. I just knew that they were invisible, and it wasn't until Elijah prayed that opened his servant's eyes that he could see the angels that were there. So there may be angels here right now, and our eyes are not open to it. There may be a battle going on for us right now, and we don't even know it, which is pretty cool. God is awesome. All right, another question people often have. Um, what are the names of the angels? How many angels are named? There's only two angels named in the Bible. Michael and Gabriel. So any other names you've ever heard for angels, they're made up. They're not from the Bible. Now, coincidentally, there are also two demons named in the Bible. Satan and Abaddon or Apollyon in the book of Revelation. Now, Satan is really not a proper noun in the Hebrew. It just means the adversary. But he is the adversary, and everybody started to call him Satan, and so that became his name. So it just means the adversary. So Michael and Gabriel are the two holy angels mentioned in the Bible, and Abaddon or Apollyon, and um, Satan. Somebody's saying, Steve, what about Lucifer? Lucifer is a mistranslation of a couple of words in the Hebrew. It doesn't belong in the Bible just means the um, morning star, the evening star, or Venus. And it's a translation from uh, the Old Testament, and it should just be the, the day star or the morning star. So Lucifer is a made-up word, too. It doesn't belong there. So we've got Michael, we've got Gabriel, we've got Abaddon, and we've got Apollyon. Next week, we'll talk about the demons. Apollyon, Apollo, the Greek god, is actually a demon. Gabriel. He's the messenger angel. Now, I don't know if that's all he does. I don't know if there's a million other messenger angels. But he's the only messenger angel named in the Bible. And every time he's named in the Bible, he's delivering a message. He shows up on the scene first to Daniel. He's the one that went to Daniel and gave Daniel a message from God. He showed up in the holy place, in the temple in Jerusalem, with the priest Zechariah and said, your son's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. That was Gabriel who met with him. And then he went to a Joseph and Mary. He was the one that delivered the message that Mary was going to have the baby Jesus. Gabriel, man, what the, he's the man. Look what God used him for. And he's one of only two holy angels mentioned in the Bible. What, what honor. He must be an awesome angel to get that kind of attention and that kind of privilege to be that kind of messenger. He's probably the humblest of the angels, man, to be given that job. The other angel that's mentioned is Michael, and he's specifically called Archangel. Gabriel's not called Archangel. What's Archangel mean? Chief Angel. He's the uber angel. Michael is big shot angel. He's the biggest shot of the angels as far as we know. Now, he's called the Archangel, which means Chief Angel, 
But in Daniel, he's called one of the chief angels. So I know there's a category of angels called archangels, and Michael's one of them. There's others. We don't know who they are. Gabriel may be one, but he's not called one. The only one identified is Michael. And he's the only one who ever appears in the Bible by name, so he's probably the head of the angels. It might be like there's a category of angels, like there's a bunch of generals in the military. Maybe Michael's the four-star. Don't know for sure. But they seem to be ranked, and the archangels are the top of the angel category. Now, every time Gabriel appears in the Bible, he's bringing a message. Every time Michael's mentioned by name in the Bible, he's fighting something. So I guess uh, if you want to think of a warrior angel, you're thinking of Michael. Daniel 12, verse 1. He's the defender of Israel. So Gabriel's the messenger to Israel. Michael's the defender of Israel. Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. All right. We talked about guardian angels, and I told you there's no evidence that people have guardian angels. But nations do. At least the nation of Israel does. Nation of Israel has a guardian angel, and his name is Michael. Yeah, baby, we got the best. <laughs> we need the best. Everybody's always coming against Israel. So at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So Israel is going to be persecuted again, and it's going to be ugly. Michael's job at that point in history, which is still our future, will be to deliver all the saints, all the believers at that time. When I look at the future of what the Bible says, there's going to be a time of horrible persecution for Christians and Jewish Christians and for Jews who aren't Christians. And as the time gets down, there's going to be one point in history where God says, okay, my believers are going to be protected now. And it looks like it's going to be Michael's job to keep him safe. And he'll be there with his sword or his AK or whatever he does, maybe with 10,000 legions of angels at his command, but Michael in charge of them. And like I said, every time he's mentioned by name in the Bible, he's fighting. In Daniel uh, chapter 10... Daniel is praying for two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, no, three weeks, 21 days, three weeks. At the end of the third week, an angel comes to him and talks to him. And it's like he's apologizing. He says, I'm sorry it took so long to get here. When you first started to pray three weeks ago, God dispatched me. But when I got to the region, to Persia, the demon prince of Persia fought with me. And I couldn't overcome him. He was too powerful. And so God had to send Michael. And Michael delivered me, and now I just got free. What? Yeah. There's some crazy stuff going on out there. Crazy stuff. Well, Steve, why is it that God would send an angel and allow him to be de delayed three weeks? I don't know. But obviously that was part of God's plan. Why would Michael need to step in? Well, I already told you, he's the toughest angel. They needed, God needed help. But what? Uh, I don't know. I just know that I told you, there's things going on that we don't see, just like there's things going on here. And they got all these, you know, the Persia had a demon prince, and Israel had Michael the prince, and the angel was sent to Israel. So Israel's guardian came and kicked the demon prince's butt and set him free. 
Why did it take him three weeks? I don't know. Maybe he was busy doing something else. Maybe God wanted Daniel all prayed up. I don't know. But every time Michael shows up, he's fighting. He fights that demon prince of Persia. Jude says he fought with Satan over the body of Moses. Why would they be fighting over a dead man's body? I don't know. And that's all the Bible says about it. And the reason it mentions it is to make another point. That's just used as an instance to make a point about how to treat spiritual powers with respect. It says, even when Michael fought Satan over the, bod uh, over the body of Moses, he didn't rail against Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. And if that's how Michael treats Satan, how should we treat him? With respect. But that raises a bunch of questions, like, why did they want Moses' body? When did this happen? And how did he end up winning? And then what happened to Moses' body? It's interesting. Moses was buried by God, the Bible says. And that's the only body that's ever been contended over that we know of. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to possess Moses and then use him as a, you know, like a freaky demon zombie and lead the people astray. I don't know. Want to do something with that body. Maybe just defile it because God's the one who buried it himself. And maybe Michael had to guard it. Don't know. It's interesting stuff. It really is. So he's fighting the demon prince. He's fighting Satan himself. In fact, Michael leads the war to kick the demons out of heaven. Yay, Michael! I like Michael. I like Michael so much, I named my daughter after him. Yeah, no kidding. We said, hey, if we have a boy, it's not Michael. And if it's a girl, it's Michael. Uh. So Michaela is how we pronounce it, but her name is spelled Michael with an A at the end. Michaela. And it's cool because she likes Michael too, and she wants to name her kids after Michael, which is awesome because he is the angelic prince that guards Israel. And he kicks Satan's butt. And there's just something about my manliness that likes that. <laughs> Listen to Revelations chapter 12. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. In heaven, there are countless angels. About a third of them apparently rebelled against God. Now, before you get all uptight and say, how could that be? Happened here, too. There was one man, one woman, and they both rebelled against God. Here we are years later with billions of people on the planet, and most of us are in rebellion against God. Angels had a choice. Some of them rebelled. Humans had a choice. Both of them rebelled, and now some of their descendants have rebelled. Most. God wants creatures to have freedom of choice, even if the choice is stupid and evil. At least they're not robots. They have the freedom to choose. So the angels who rebelled against God and are kicked out of heaven by Michael, we call them demons. You ever wonder what a fallen angel looks like or what a demon looks like? 
I'll tell you next week. Next week, we're going to do our whole lesson on demons, just like this week was on angels. But before I send you home, I want to point out something to you that may be obvious, but it's important to be said. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There's a battle going on right now for your souls. There's some good news and there's some bad news. By the way, it's not God versus Satan because there's no comp competition. Satan is not God's antithesis. He's not the yin to his yang. Satan is nothing to God. The antithesis of Satan is Michael, Michael the archangel. God is superior. Even in the Bible, when a demon wants to do something, they've got to go to God and get permission. I want to persecute and afflict Job. Okay, just make sure you don't take his, his life. So even, even Satan's got to go to God to get his permission on things. No, the opposite of God is not Satan. The opposite of Satan is Michael the archangel. There is no opposite of God. There is nobody who can even be on the same scale as God. God is so amazing, we don't even get him. And that's why the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you even consider him? What are we that you even care about us? We're nothing. But he loves us. Well, I told you I had some good news and some bad news. There's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of lights. Nobody's born into that kingdom. We're all born into this kingdom. If we do nothing, we will die in this kingdom, and we will go where the devil goes, because this is his kingdom. He's called the god of this world, you know. And as I'll show you next week, hell was made for him. If we stay on his side, we're going where he goes. We have to get from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, I told you, everybody's born into this kingdom. You do nothing, you'll stay here. It takes an active choice to get from here to there. To get into this kingdom, you must be born also, but born again. That's a physical birth over there. It has to do with your flesh. It's got nothing to do with your spirit. And you had no choice in the matter. That was up to your parents. This kingdom, that's your choice. You can be born again spiritually and enter the kingdom of heaven. It says God's beloved son translates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He did this by dying for our sins and conquering death. What we have to do to go from there to there is choose who we're going to follow. Now, like I said, the choice has already been made. We have to defect. We have to, I don't know, what's that word when you betray the country you're in and go for another? Treason. treason. We have to commit treason in the kingdom of darkness to enter the kingdom of light. God is always looking for people to join his cause. And to join it, you would say something to him like this. God, I don't want to be in the kingdom of darkness anymore. I want to be in your kingdom. I do believe in Jesus, and I want to follow him, not the devil. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I believe that, and I commit myself to him. I commit myself. I will follow him forever. And then instantly, you get your citizenship papers. Instantly, you become a citizen of the kingdom of light. But he leaves you in hostile territory to recruit more, 
and to shine some light and to help people who are here. So we become a child of the king and then he immediately puts us to work to gather more children because it's getting darker and darker and the kingdom is closing in and one day it's just all going to fall apart. And he wants us to rescue as many people as we can. We've got our papers. We're good to go. Should we die in this kingdom? We will awaken in that kingdom. No big deal. But while we're here, he wants us to do as much damage as we can possibly do to the enemy's camp. Sow chaos. Now here's how you sow chaos in the kingdom of darkness. Love people. That will really mess with the devil's head. Totally ruin his program. His program's all about self and selfishness and looking out for number one. Stay in this kingdom and sing songs of praise to God. Oh, mess with the devil. Mess with him. I wouldn't be surprised if when we started singing our songs of praise, the demons left and the angels came in. I don't think the angels would have chased off the demons. Probably the songs of praise would have. (laughs) We're going to learn more about this next week, but we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a battle. We're going to war. We're in war. We've got a job to do. And I'm looking forward to the day that I'm taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light physically. I am. I cannot wait. No sorrow. Lots of sorrow. No tears. Lots of tears. No evil. Lots of evil. No suffering. Lots of suffering. But here we are. So let's redeem the time for the days are evil. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for showing us about the heavenly battle and letting us see which side we're on and helping us to understand that we are to be active in engaging the enemy and messing with his plans and bringing as many people to your side as possible. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might do your work well, as well as we possibly can. Help us to lift up the name of Jesus that many would flock to him. And whatever you're going to do with your angels, Lord, do it well, do it right. Help them to partner with us, under us, however you've got it, so that we could win as many souls as possible for Jesus. For it's in his holy name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.